it is. There it is, Excel. November 15 and 16, we got momentum. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you. Please, please sign up quickly. Here's the deal. This has been happening since the dawn of time. We do an event, and everyone's like, yeah, I want to go, I want to go. I say, oh, you should sign up. Yeah, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to sign up. The day before we leave, the entire youth group decides to sign up. Haley dies a little bit on the inside because you guys drive her nuts with having to handle all this registration at one time. And so I honestly want you to listen. If you know this is something you want to do, you know you want to go, forms are available, registration is open, we take cash, credit, whatever you need, we're going to have it. We want to make sure that we provide this for you. All we need you to do, you can even print it at home. You can go on our website, get the form, print it out, bring it in. There is no excuse for you not to be able to go. And even if you feel like, man, money is tight, come and talk to me. We'll figure out a way. But we want to make sure that you're going. Now, listen. Don't be coming up to me talking about money is tight and you rocking some new shoes and some fresh gear and you're like, yo, Pastor, that's why money's tight. I spent everything on this new outfit, okay? Go sell your shirt and pay for momentum. But we want to make sure that you guys have an opportunity to be there. Plus, I need to remind you, this is limited space. So once we fill up, it's not like other events where on the last day you're like, oh, can I go? Dude, seriously, I don't even have a place for you to sleep. I cannot take you. And so we have a limited number of hotel rooms. I can maybe get more hotel rooms if everybody signed up and we needed more, but I can't do that the last day. And so if you really want to go, if you feel like there's something that you need, and let me tell you, it is something that you need, do everything you can to sign up and be there. Amen? Oh, no amens. All right, I guess that didn't work. <laughs> All right, well, I got something to wake you up a little bit, okay? I need your favor. Your favor. I need a favor. I'm going to ask you guys, I know you just sat down, I'm going to ask you to stand up for a minute. In this room, I have lost a penny. I'm going to give you two minutes to find said penny. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's rules. I don't want you to run. You are not allowed to run, okay? So don't be mean. Babe, why don't you stand up there? I don't want nobody touching you because you got precious cargo in your belly. It is somewhere in this room. And I'm just going to let you know now it is not on the stage. So don't be tripping over the pianos and stuff like that. Okay? I'm going to give you two minutes to help me find this penny. And just to make it a little bit more fun, Jacob's going to help me out. Jacob, help me out. This penny, how, much, how many know what this penny's worth? One cent to you. But to you now, this is worth $30 off Momentum. Give it to Haley and she'll take $30 off your registration for Momentum. Hey, low-key, though, Leslie, I put it behind you because I thought you'd be too senior to get up and look for it. <laughs> I was kind of hoping they would be like the other two girls. That never bothered to get up. Listen, <clears throat> this coin might have the value of one cent, but to me, it was worth more. To me, it was worth some scholarship money, which every little bit counts. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I want to set up uh, the second part of this series that we've been going into kind of... I've uh, affectionately called uh, lost and found. Last week, we talked about the lost what? Sheep. Last week, we talked about the lost sheep. Okay, thank you. Appreciate you, Joshie. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about the lost coin. Say coin. coin. Say coin. coin. Tonight, we're going to talk about the lost coin. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. And it's just a few verses, verse 8 through 10. Now, I'm sick, so you're going to hear a lot of coughing. Apology to the first row. 
You guys are going to get like a lot of spittle at you. Wrong day to wear shorts, girl. That's just. Um, now, listen, let me give you context again, right? We talked about this last week, but just in case you weren't here, the reason this parable, this story is being told, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, these religious leaders who didn't like the fact that he hung out with unbelievers, with sinners, with people that they thought you should not associate with. So Jesus gives them a parable to help them understand why he has to associate with these people. And so last week we talked about the parable of the lost sheep. How if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and he loses one, won't he leave the 99 and go after the one? Then we pick up and he jumps right into this next parable. You know, sometimes when you don't get the first analogy, you got to give a second analogy. So this is what he says. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp? sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I just ask right now, God, that you would make our mind alert. God, I pray that my voice would shrink and that yours would become greater. Father, I pray that we would know not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word, that we would be inspired to carry out exactly what you've called us to do. So, Father, I pray that your word would come to life tonight, God. I pray that it would penetrate the hearts of all of us, God. I pray that we would focus and pay attention, not for our own sake, but for the sake of those who need to hear this. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, listen, let me give you a little context, because if you read this story, you think it's a coin. What's the big deal? And when you study a little bit on this story, you find out that that coin doesn't really have a lot of value. As a matter of fact, it's probably just a little bit over the value of the penny that you guys found. This coin in and of itself is not very valuable. So why would this woman turn her house upside down to look for it? Why would she call her neighbors and her friends over to celebrate a coin? Well, to understand that, you got to go back and understand this first century Jewish culture. Everything within culture makes a little bit more sense, right? Some people down the line are going to be like, why did they spend $200 on a pair of shoes for a guy who didn't even play in the NBA anymore, right? You guys are still spending mad money on Jordans, and you never saw him play. But people still, why? Because of the name. Like, why are people paying so much money for something that says supreme? Like, why would you spend that on a straw? Oh, because it had the name. But 200 years from now, nobody's going to get why you did that. Because context matters, right? What's going on in that culture at that time makes a difference. Well, let me give you the culture of first century Jewish uh, women. Back in the day, in this culture, they used to do their hair real crazy like people do their hair now. Like, y'all want to think, you ever seen those movies or shows where they have these weave contests where they have like a helicopter and they weave and they got like a big bumble. You ever seen that before where like it's all unbelievable and they got these crazy weaves that they do? Well, back in first century Jewish culture, women would take like beeswax and other things to try to put their hair up and design their, and they would have like massive structures, right? They would do like some crazy stuff. So don't act like the West Side invented it. This is something they were doing back in their day too. And so they would do all these kind of hairstyles and hairdos and all these different things. Now, one of the things in particular, a woman's hair was very valuable, was very important. It, it was a, a sense of sensuality. It was a sense of, of, of allure. And a woman always had her hair up. 
okay? The only time a woman would put her hair down is on her wedding night or when she was intimate with her husband. He was the only one that she would lay her hair down for. Otherwise, her hair would be up. And one of the things that she had that was special, she would have this uh, almost like a, a little chain necklace with coins attached to them, okay? These coins, 10 of them, represented purity to her. So when she would put her hair up and she would have these coins, very similar to how when you go to a wedding now, if a woman wears a veil, it signifies her purity. And when she pulls the veil back, it means that she is giving herself now to this man. Only in this culture, the woman would take those coins off or that beaded necklace. She would take that hair piece off on her wedding night and it would let her hair down in front of her husband. So here's the deal. If she shows up to her wedding night and she only got 9 out of 10 coins, what's the man going to think? The man's going to think, who have you been doing this with before me? Who did you let your hair down with before me? Why is there a coin missing? What have you been doing that's caused that coin to be lost? See, she, this wasn't just the value of a cent. This was her actual value within her culture. This was her purity in front of everybody else. This signified a lot to her. And so she had to look for this because it meant the integrity of who she was. It meant the integrity of who she was presenting herself to be. And so this was way more than a penny. This represented her. Now here's the deal. A coin is not going to move on its own. And so something caused that coin to dislodge. Some sort of carelessness, something she did inadvertently, whether she was moving around or doing something else, knocked it over, dropped it on the ground. Something she did caused the coin to be dislodged. <laughs> In the context of what we're talking about, this coin represents people that are lost. Just like the shepherd with the sheep. The only difference is that sheep, it wandered off on its own. This coin was lost as a result of somebody else. See, there are people who are lost maybe because no one ever talked to them about Jesus. They never grew up in a Christian home. They never had that opportunity to hear about God. Maybe they grew up in an atheist home. Maybe they grew up in a Muslim home. Maybe they grew up in a different section or a different culture. Something that's not their fault caused them to be lost. Some people, maybe they did grow up in church, but church left a bad taste in their mouth. Maybe they were abused by a leader at church. Maybe somebody, maybe mom and dad made you go to church so much that they overbeared you and, and they, they kept ramming it down your throat and, and they kept making you read the Bible to the point where you hated it. My wife is notorious for hating anything I make her do. If I tell her, no, you got to do this, automatically in her mind she's like, I will never do that. I could be like, babe, you got to breathe. She will hold your breath as long as she can just to prove I don't do anything you tell me to do. But sometimes people are lost because they were, they were pushed, they were hurt, they were damaged, they, they, they kind of walked away. And listen, we've all had friends like that where we've talked about it. And they'll say, like, yeah, I used to go to church, but it was boring. Or I used to go to church, but, you know, I didn't like it. Or, or they were too judgmental. Or they did this or they did that. And for whatever reason, that hurt, that pain, that push has caused them now to be lost. Now here's the deal. No matter the reason for them being lost, God still values them. And God wants to search and find that which was lost. See, it doesn't matter why someone isn't walking with the Lord anymore. What matters is are we doing everything we can to help find them? Are we doing everything we can 
<laughs> to seek and to save that which is lost. See, this whole month, one of the things we're just going to be focusing on over and over again is helping you understand that as a believer, as a Christian, the lost have to be a priority in your life. People who don't know Jesus need to matter to you. Now listen, we can't convince anybody. And we can't make anybody. I'm not telling you tie up your friend, throw him in the back of a truck and bring him to church. I mean, I'm not totally against that, I guess. But you shouldn't do that from a legal standpoint. Okay? I'm not saying that's what we need to do. People can say no. But every human being has at least the right to say no. You don't have the right not to give them the option. And we need to make sure that I have a heart. We have a heart that says, you know what? I need to reach this person. I was thinking even as I talked about that man that I met outside the barbershop, I prayed with him, I did my thing, but then I walked on. And after I walked, you ever kind of like, maybe you've been having a conversation with somebody, you all were dissing each other, and you walked away and you came up with the best comeback, and you're like, dang, I'm salty now. I wish I would have said that over there. I had that same feeling, except this was the thought. After I walked away, I go, you know what? That was a perfect opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. And I missed my mark. And then my thought was, hey, you know what? That's my barber's best friend. I'm going to hit up my barber. I'm going to see if I can get a meeting with this guy. And I'm going to try to talk to him a little bit more. And I'm going to try to see if he's interested. I'm going to at least lay out the gospel for him. Why? Because that's his right. As a human being, he has the right to say yes or no. I don't have the right to not give him that option. Are you feeling me? Are you guys hearing me? As believers, this is something you must do. Now, it goes more than just giving an option. There has to be an enthusiasm. There has to be a passion about the lost. And so if you look at this story, this woman does three things that demonstrates her heart for that lost coin. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is that she lit a lamp. <coughs> she had a little lamp. Why is that important? That coin that she lost was lost in darkness. When I told you guys I need you to find that penny and I turned off the lights, almost all of you instinctually pulled out your phones and turned on your light. Why? Because it's more difficult to find it in darkness than it is with light. You knew that you had a better chance of finding that coin if you had light. And so it was your light that helps you find it. Even as I was watching Valerie, she almost missed it. She looked at it and she kind of saw it and then I saw her put her phone closer just to make sure is my light seen what I think it's seen. You and I are not going to find the lost without light. Okay? The coin is lost in darkness and in order to find it, you need light. Throughout the Bible, God speaks and references his word as light. This is light. Listen, Psalms 119 verse 105 says it the best. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your own reasoning and rationale can't save anyone. You need to be prepared with God's word to defend and convince people that need him. You need to understand what you believe if you expect anybody else to believe it. If you don't understand why you believe it, how will anybody else ever believe it? If you're like, man, you really need Jesus, and they're like, why? Because, um, like, he make your life better. How? Like magic Jesus powers? I don't, I really don't know, bro. I don't have an answer for you. 
If you can't explain simple, basic concepts to me, why would I listen to you? Now, here's the problem. Most of us go, you're right, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and I'm not saying this is a free pass to be ignorant. I'm saying read your Bible. The answers are there. Understand why you believe what you believe. In other words, if you don't understand what you believe, do you even believe it? Or are you just blindly going with it? We need to have intelligent Christians, Christians that are willing to understand God's word and read it. And there's going to be parts that you don't get. That's fine. There's parts that I don't get. And I read. And I study. And I ask people questions. And I have dialogues. And iron sharpens iron. And we grow and we develop and we build. And I'm not saying you have to know everything. But please, you should know something. At least a little bit. Especially today. When people are confused because everybody has sound bites of the Bible. Everybody has these little snippets that they twist and turn. And so the unbeliever will go back and say, well, your Bible says that you're not allowed to do this and you're supposed to do that. And how come God hates this and why does God do that? And they have this misconstrued view, a misunderstanding of what the Bible says. How can you correct them if you don't know it? How can you understand what's in darkness when you live in darkness too? And so it's this light that illuminates it. And listen, if one of you had a flashlight, you had a better chance than everybody else. But all of you turned on your flashlights and suddenly the whole room lit up. And so even those who hadn't turned their flashlight on had some light to see. <clears throat> you and I need to understand the importance. And I'm going to keep hammering this in over and over again. Of knowing your word. And if I could say this for those of you who grew up in church. It is not enough to just understand the gist of it. Because there's a lot of you who grew up in church, you know every story in the Bible, but you don't know God's word. So if I say, hey, you know Noah's Ark, you're like, oh, yeah, I know Noah's Ark. Hey, David and Goliath, yeah, I know David and Goliath. Okay, well, what's the, acts, the aspect of David and Goliath that's important and significant? Why, why, why David? What did Goliath signify in the Bible? Why didn't David use... Saul's armor. Like, give me the bits, the, the real meat behind it. And stop basing your Christian life off of the Sunday school lesson you got 20 years ago. Some of you need to know more than just the stories. Because it's not enough. And I'm telling you from some of the experience. For me growing up in church, I thought, you know what? I know the gist of the whole Bible. I've like, at least in my life, read all of it at least once. So if you tell me something long enough, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. But to say I knew God's word, I didn't. To say I understood God's word, even less. So be careful. Some of us think because we've grown up in church that we don't have to take time to study. I would say you have to study more because most of your recollection of the Bible is based on fragment thoughts that you have or memories that you have, little bits and pieces of your life growing up, not enough to fully understand or even explain what God has spoken to you. It's important you know God's word in order to shine light on what's real and what's not. If they don't understand, that's where God's word comes in. If they say, well, well, God hates these people. Well, no, 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 let me tell you what God's word says. Well, well, God would never accept me because of all. No, 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 let me explain to you what God's word says about that. See, I can help you understand because I can explain, not just tell you, but I can explain what God's word means when it says it. And there's been a number of people that have had conversations with me that have tried to come back with me with little bits that they know. And when I expose that and I help them understand what it really means, they step back and go, okay, that makes sense. 
One of my favorite things to hear is, you know what, I never thought about it like that. You know, no one ever told me that. I never understood that. And there are people who are literally going to hell who don't have a relationship with God simply because of a misunderstanding. They never really got it. And part of that is because you didn't know enough to give it. My challenge to you is be prepared by taking time every day to read your word and not just read it, study it. Don't just get information, but study it so that it transforms you. It begins to shape you. And you begin to become the light of the world. Because God has called us to be the light of the world. But you cannot be the light if you don't live in the light. Does that make sense? The second thing I saw this woman do is she not only lit the lamp, but the Bible tells us that she sweeped her entire house. How many of y'all like on Saturday your mom turns up to salsa music and suddenly you know you got to wake up and clean the whole house? Anybody still got that? Anybody in your house know? Y'all a bunch of dirty little kids. Nobody got that? You know what I'm talking about? Like they don't even like, they're not like, mijo, mijo, hey, wake up. We're going to clean. Right? If the music wakes you up. It's like, brah, levantate. It's like, man, I don't even brush my teeth yet. Brush your teeth and sweep the floor. I'm like, I hate this. Dude. Your whole house smells like fabuloso. It's this whole big annoying concept. You know what I mean? Like nobody likes having to do that. The only time you do that, let's be honest, is when you're looking for something that you really want, that's when you realize how dirty your room is, and that's when you get mad about it. Listen, my wife goes into this weird mode. Uh, I forgot what we call it. But it's like when I come in and, like, the whole house is destroyed. And she'll stop me at the door. She'll be like, I can explain. I can explain. I was sweeping, and then I realized this was dirty, and then this, and then this, and it's all going to get back in order. I have a method, but it's just going to be a little crazy right now. And I'm like, I just asked you to sweep the floor today. Like, how did you end up with this whole thing? But listen, when you really miss it, I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm really missing something, that's when I start getting kind of angry. Like, I'll take stuff and I'll throw it across the room. I'll start lifting things. I blame my mom. Why'd you move it? I know where I leave it where I leave it because I know where I'm going to get it. Well, that's not where it goes, but that's why I left it. And I left it there because I knew that's where I was going to go and get it next time. Well, it doesn't matter that it was on the floor. That's what I knew where on the floor it was. <laughs> right? We have that. Like, we get mad. And we start blaming. Like, they lost it. Why you put away my clothes? I know where it is. <laughs> and so we get into these arguments and we get into these situations. But listen, the coin, it probably fell in an area that's not seen. <laughs> and we all know it's those areas that are not seen that are sometimes the dirtiest. Because when we clean the house, we only clean what people are going to see. Right? Because, you know, your room ends up being the place where they just throw all the extra stuff that they don't want people to see. Like all the coats, all the family coats get thrown in your room. Like your bed is just covered with a pile of coats. And no Hispanic ever had a coat rack in their house. We just throw it all on the bed. Oh, you need your coat? Mijo, go get his coat. It's on the bed. And it's like a pile of 90 coats in the bedroom. <laughs> right? We just, like, I'll come in. My wife cleaned up. I'm like, oh, man, the house looks nice. She's like, don't go into that room, though. That's why I threw everything. I'm like, dang, Okay. <laughs> See, that coin probably fell in an area that wasn't as clean, like, you know, under the couch. Let's be honest. Under the couch is probably dustier than in front of the couch. Because nobody wants to get down. Like, oh, I hate having it. Your mom will make you do it, but you sweep. You just, well, whatever she can see, that's fine. <laughs> right? There's like a whole line of dirt and then just dust bunnies. <clears throat> Inside of the couch, right? All that little mugere. You still go in for the coins, though, but that's like where it's there. See, that coin probably fell in one of those cracks. 
one of those areas. These areas tend to be where dirt and dust collect. And depending on how long that coin has been there, it's probably now covered in the same dirt. But no matter how filthy it is, no matter how much dirt comes on it, it's still valuable. Right? If you're walking down the street and you see 20 bucks sticking out of the dirt, you don't care that it's in dirt. Some of y'all will pull it out of dog poop. Y'all are nasty. You're like, $20, y'all, just wash it off. 20 bucks. Gross. Okay. But listen, that $20, whether it's dirty or clean, it's still worth $20. It doesn't lose its value because it's dirty. And in the same way, that lost coin, whether it was clean or dirty, she swept up. It didn't matter if it was clean or dirty because it was still worth valuable to her. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? While we were still sinners. See, God didn't wait for you to get clean. God didn't wait for you to look nice. God didn't wait for you to get your act together. God didn't wait for you to dress a certain way. God didn't wait for you to be perfect to save you. He saw you worthy of being saved when you were at your absolute worst. And you'll hear this from a lot of your friends. Man, I, I can't go to church. I'm a mess. And you've got to remind them, church is a hospital. It's for sick people. It's not for the healthy. You don't go when you're better. I had people say that to me. Oh, man, I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm too sick. It's like, that's why you go, dummy. Some of our friends feel like, listen, I'm just, I'm too messed up to go right now. I had a friend one time, I, I, every week I would try to invite her to church. And she gave me the same excuse. No, I don't want to cry. I'm like, if you know you're going to cry, then you know you need to go. I know, if I know if I go, I'm going to cry. And I don't want to cry. I'm not going to go. I'm like, let's cry right here then. What's the big deal? Like, what's going on in your life? But we have to understand that we got to be able to clean around and, and, and see them still as valuable. God didn't wait for you to be perfect. He saw you worthy even when you were at your worst. And here's the problem. Sometimes we look at people and we decide before we ever ask whether or not they'll say yes to Jesus. Right? Can we be honest? You'll look at people when you, you know, you got all fired up from the sermon. God's just pushing you like, come on, you're going to do it. And you're all hyped up and you're getting ready to tell somebody about Jesus. But here's what you do. You look at your class and you think, man, he'll never say yeah. Nah, not that one. She, nah, I could never see her in church. She would never go to church. Um, you know, that guy might say yes. I'm going to ask him. <laughs> well, who gave you the authority to pick and choose? Why are you deciding? If we can be honest, here's why we do that. Because we don't want people to say no to us. So we pick the best probable one. That's why y'all keep bringing people from other churches. Because they're already Christian, so they'll go to your, hey, I'll go to your church. I brought a friend. Man, your friend's Christian already. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it cool? You get no points for that. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, that's cool if you're from another church. I ain't mad at you. But listen. There are enough people that are not saved. Think about it like this. Even if this room had 500 teenagers in it, that's not even a small dent in the percentage of high school kids within the city of Chicago. We're not even scratching a school. We have to understand, listen, I'm just going to ask everybody. I'm just going to go down the line. I'm going to start with my friends, and then I'm going to go into the people I don't know. And then I'm going to go into the people that I don't even like. You're like, oh, I don't, I'd rather they go to hell. <laughs> you would never say it, but you think it. 
Listen, we got to get to a point where we stop deciding for people. Where we stop deciding what someone else might say. Where we stop looking at someone and going, I thought you'd say no. Because imagine this. What if somebody came back to you and said, AJ, I, I would have invited you years ago, but I thought you'd say no. Your natural reaction would be like, why didn't you just ask me? Why didn't you just ask me? Give them the right to say no. If they say no, that's on you. My hands are clean. But if they say yes, if even one person gets saved, what did the Bible tell us? All of heaven rejoices. So we got to be willing to search with the lamp. We got to be willing to sweep and, and make sure we knock out all of our insecurities, sweep away all of the excuses, sweep away all the reasons why we can't recognize the coin in front of us. And the third thing is this. She searched until she finds it. <laughs> she searched until she finds it. Now there's a key to that. It's that until part. Sometimes we search for the loss with the same effort that we search for the thing your mom told you to get. You know what I mean? Like your mom's be like, hey, go get me that. And you go in the room. It's not there. And she'd be like, it's in the room. It's on the dresser next to. It's not there. And then here's what your mom says. I swear to God, if I go in there. Right? If I go in there and it's where I told you, I'm going to beat you upside the head with it. And then in your mind, you're like, hold on, let me check one more time. <laughs> oh, it was right there. Yeah, no, it's there. It's right here. <laughs> right? Listen, that's what happens. God sends you places. God says, hey, listen, I want you to go to your classroom. And there's going to be a person I want you to talk to. And I'm going to open that door. And I want you to search for him. And you walk in, you're in the classroom like, Nope. <laughs> And God's like, no, 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 I set it up. I gave him a dream. I mean, this is, this is ready. Like, all you got to do is invite him. <sighs> no, God's kind of awkward. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Some of us, we look with that kind of minimal effort. You look for two seconds, then you come out like, no. The reason we don't find it, honestly, we don't care. If we can really get down to it. The reason we don't find it, we don't care. Here, listen, write this down. The effort of your search is equal to the value you place on what's lost. I'll repeat that for you. The effort of your search is equal to the value you place on what's lost. If it's not worth anything to you, you don't look for it. Plain and simple. If it's not worth anything to you, you don't look for it. You lose a hair clip, no big deal. You lose your cell phone, big deal. It's based on the value you put on it. Right? You lose your cell phone, here's what you do. Shh, shh, everybody, shut up, shut up, shh. Call my phone. Call my phone. You have a ringtone on? No, I always have it on silent. Call my phone. Shh. And then you put on that supersonic ear thing where you're like, I don't know why you have to open your mouth when you want to listen carefully. You know what I mean? You're like. And then you hear the buzz. You're like, shh. I think it's behind the couch. And you go crazy. Why? I'm not leaving without my phone. Why? Because you put a value on that. It's worth more than even what you paid for. 
There's value for it, and so there's effort made in looking for it. Well, how valuable is a soul to you? How valuable are the people that you call friends? Luke chapter 19, verse 9 through 10 says, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Let me repeat that. Understanding Jesus' mission, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Christ's mission on earth is the same mission he left us with, to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, we may not be able to do the saving, but we are equipped to do the seeking. Yesterday um, was the anniversary of 9-11, and I was talking to some friends of mine, and we were thinking, how crazy is it that it pretty much... Everyone in this room, with the exception of a handful, were born after that event. How many were born after 9-11? Raise your hand high, just so I can see. Everybody here. You were born after 9-11. How many were too young to even remember 9-11? You were under five or six. <laughs> see, for people like Pastor Jason and I, we knew where we were. We knew what was going down. I'm not sure where he was, but for me, I was walking the hallways at school. I was at Lane at the time. I was a sophomore. I'm walking the hall. A friend of mine runs up to me, freaked out, looks me dead in the eye, and says, Joey, we're under attack. I'm like, what? He goes, the United States, we're under attack right now. And I freak out, like, for a second, because I'm like, dude, I'm just old enough to where I could possibly be drafted. Like, if we go to war, like, I'm, this isn't a joke for me. Like, I'm an able-bodied teenage man. Like, I might have to go and fight a war. And we knew all the rumblings and stuff that were going on. So I remember I went into a Spanish class that had a TV, and I saw the second plane hit the tower. Now, for those of you who don't know what happened on 9-11, on that day, terrorists flew two planes into the Twin Towers in New York. Over 3,000 people lost their lives. As a matter of fact, I was watching a documentary yesterday, and they were talking about the noise, and they said one of the most horrible noises that they couldn't get out of their heads was the constant thud. They kept hearing this. And they said every time they heard that thud, they knew it was another person who had jumped out of the building because their whole office was on fire, and that was the best bet they had, either stay in the fire or jump out the building. And that thud was their body splatting on the floor. 3,000 people died in that one moment on live television as we were all watching. It was the worst attack on U.S. soil since Pearl Harbor. And in this tragedy, there was a lot of stories that came out. Matter of fact, one of the cool ones, there was a, a Bible that got burned into a rock. And the words on the scripture were still open and it was open to revelation. And the scripture that said there, basically paraphrasing it, said, do not take revenge. I mean, it was crazy what God was doing in the midst of all this. But in particular, there was two men. There was all these uh, uh, just uh, special, uh, firefighters and police officers and, and, and just different personnel that were going up into the building when everybody was running out. And two transit officers ended up being trapped when the buildings fell. They were trapped under 10 feet of rubble. They were hurt, they were lost, and they were running out of time. The crazy part is... They had this kind of opening where they could see 
right above the 10 feet of rubble. They could see the people walking over them all day, but nobody could hear them. With all the construction, all the rescuers, everybody trying to move things, they would yell, nobody can hear them. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being trapped under 10 feet of rubble, surrounded with dead bodies, the smell and the stench of death all in the room? You're hurt, you can't leave. And your hope, your salvation is literally walking over your head and they can't hear you. There's this maddening effect that must have been going on in their mindset. And yet while all this was happening, there was a retired Marine by the name of Dave Carnes. Now Dave Carnes was in Philly. And Dave Carnes goes to his pastor the next day. And he says, Pastor, I feel like the Lord... It's calling me to go to ground zero. That's what they were calling the area of rubble that was left in the wake of 9-11. And it was the area where they were still searching for any possible life. He said, Pastor, I feel like God is calling me to ground zero. And his pastor told him, you can't go there. They've, they've blocked it off to, to non-professionals. You're, you're a civilian. You're not a firefighter. You're not a professional. There's no way you can go. But he felt like God had him on a mission. Worship team, if you can help me out. <laughs> the story goes that he ended up dressing in his full military gear. And he went to New York, even though his pastor told him he shouldn't. And even though the people there were going to try to stop him. And when he got there, sure enough, it was late at night. And they stopped him right before ground zero. They said, listen, no unauthorized personnel. You can't go in there. And obviously there's a danger if something were to happen to him. But David Carnes knew that he was on a mission. So what did he do? He snuck in. And in the middle of the night, he snuck past the security and he began to wander around ground zero. And as he's wandering around ground zero, he begins to yell. He has his little flashlight, right, the little lamp that we were talking about. And he's searching around and he begins to yell, United States Marines, can anybody hear me? United States Marines, can anybody hear me? Here's the deal. There are people, friends of yours, strangers, but people in your school right now trapped under 10 feet of sin, trapped under 10 feet of pain, trapped under 10 feet of abuse, 10 feet of neglect, 10 feet of suicidal thoughts, 10 feet of mental health issues, 10 feet of anger, trapped. And every day you walk right past them. And their hope is literally walking past. You carry the hope of the world in you. You are literally walking past them every day. And they are reaching out to you, but they can't say anything. Or maybe you can't hear them. What would happen if as you began to walk your schools, With your life and maybe even your voice, you began to yell out, I'm a Christian. Can anybody hear me? I'm a Christian. Can anybody hear me? Oh, pastor, that sounds corny. You know what doesn't? Dying and going to hell. That doesn't sound corny at all to me. Maybe you stop worrying about how corny you look and start worrying about the impact you can make. And start understanding that you have been given a mission. 
See, David Carnes didn't care that people said no. He didn't care that they weren't stop, that they were going to stop him at the door. He had a mission, and he began to cry out, and his cries were heard by the two transit officers. And they began to bang on a pipe. And because it was just David wandering the rubble, he heard the pipe. You know, just like we hear the cell phone. And he began to walk over. And the story goes that he put his flashlight right down that hole where he heard the pipe. And he said, I see you. What wouldn't your friends give for you to see them? See, we, we know what they're going through, right? We've heard about our suicidal friend. We've heard about that girl that just got her heart broken. We heard about that young man who's insecure and nobody likes. We heard all the rumors. But do you hear their heart calling out to God? Do you hear their need for a savior? Eventually those two men heard David Carnes. And when he pointed his flashlight, he saw them and he got up to go get help. And the story says that they freaked out because they thought, you're going to leave us like everybody else. And they said, no, 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 don't leave, don't leave. And David reassured them. He looked right back down on them and he says, don't worry. You're my mission. See, when people become your mission, you don't quit. You don't give up. You don't walk away. You don't get insecure. You don't get scared. You're not worried about what people think or what people say. You just understand, God has given me a mission, and it's my responsibility to fulfill that mission, whatever it takes, and however I look. Why don't you stand to your feet as we get ready to close? <laughs> I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? No looking around, no talking. Don't... Don't mess with anybody right now. Just give me a couple minutes and then you guys can go back to having fun. Because here's the reality. <laughs> I don't think we got to go all the way to your school tonight to find somebody trapped under 10 feet of pain. Because I wonder, maybe there's somebody here tonight. I mean, you play it cool. You act like everything's good. Your friends next to you think you're totally fine. But you know what the truth is. You know how hard it is for you at night. When all the noise stops and your mind begins to go again and those thoughts begin to creep up. You know what it's like when you begin to cry lonely by yourself because there's something there that's missing. And I'm not telling you to fill it with religion. I'm not telling you that you got to jump through hoops and do all this other thing. I'm saying this. You are hurting and lost but there has been someone from the beginning of time that's been searching for you. And as we were talking, there was something that kept tapping at your heart. The same way those men kept tapping on that pipe. There's something that kept knocking on your heart saying, hey, man, that's you. He's talking about you. Your friend didn't bring here by accident. You are not here by accident. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, before I pray for the church, and I will pray for us in the mission God has given us, sir, ma'am, if you're in this place and you are stuck under 10 feet of hurt, 10 feet of pain, 
10 feet of abuse, 10 feet of whatever. And you've been looking for hope. You've been looking for something more. There's an emptiness in your heart that I'm telling you Jesus Christ can fill. Would you trust me enough to lift up your hand and tell me, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Don't worry about anybody else around you. This isn't about anybody else. You're the one that has to live your life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if that's you, would you just signal me by lifting up your hand and I will pray for you. Thank you, sweetheart. Is there anyone else? Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Thank you, girls. Anyone else who says, that's me, Pastor, I need that. Sam, if you can help me out. Thank you, gentlemen. Church, why don't you all repeat after me? And those of you who raise your hand in a moment, I want you to find a leader. There's going to be a leader that's going to come alongside you, and they're going to walk you through the rest of this. But all together, can we just say this prayer? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. And so we're going to believe this together as a, as a body, as a family. We're going to say this all together. So just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I know that I've been lost. And I need you here tonight. And I ask you, Lord, to sweep away all my sins, all the mistakes I've made, all the hurt that I've gone through. Make me new. Make me fresh. Give me a new opportunity to love you the way you love me. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now listen. Leaders, if you can help me, just maybe pull those out to the side so you can explain what the next steps are going to be. But for everyone else, I want to go back to what we were reading. Luke 15, verse 10. says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Can I tell you something? There was more than one tonight. And because of more than one, there is a literal party in heaven. Heaven celebrates because one person was willing to say yes. And I believe God is going to be doing this each and every week if you are willing to do your mission, what God has called you to do. Last week we wrote those names down. We're believing at the end of this month, the last Thursday of this month, that we're going to bring all our friends and that God is going to open these doors and they're going to experience him in a way that they never have. I believe God will do it. I know God can do it. But that doesn't mean you don't have a part to play. So I want to pray for you one more time before we close tonight. That God would give you the courage and the passion and the determination to light that lamp, to sweep the floor, and to search until you find them. Heavenly Father, I pray over every student in this place right now, God. Every person here who considers themselves one of your children. And God, I press on them the responsibility of the mission that you have given each and every one of your children, God. Lord, you have given us this great commission to go into the world, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, you have called each and every one of us to seek and to save that which is lost. And so, Lord, I pray, don't let us get distracted with everything else. Lord, don't let us get distracted with goofing off and, and having fun. Lord, we know there's a place and a time for that, and we're grateful that we get to enjoy these lives. But, Father, help us to not forget about the mission. 
<laughs> help us to not look our friends in the eye and forget what you have called us to do. Lord, we're willing to accept yes or no. That, that doesn't matter, God. If they reject it, it's not that they rejected us. Your word reminds us they reject you. But, Father, I pray, give us the courage to give them that opportunity. Don't allow us, Lord, to withhold the great commission, God. Don't allow us to withhold the opportunity that they have to know you. So, Father, I pray, give us the right words to say when we need to speak. Help us to love the way you called us to love. Put your word in our heart, Lord. Help us to be diligent so that we have answers to the questions that might pop up. Help us to continue to till the soil, God. Help us to pray, Lord. And Lord, I pray, I pray in advance, God, for the celebration that's going to happen in heaven at the end of this month. I pray in advance for the celebration that's going to happen even next week. Because we know you're going to do your part. We just ask that you help us to do our part. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. We love you guys. We'll see you tomorrow in small groups.